The season of singleness in my life was very hard. You know, so it was a it was a time where I feel like God was able to accomplish a lot in my life that maybe otherwise um, things wouldn't have been able to be accomplished because I'd, I'd been too busy. But um, but God really, you know, used me during the time of, of singleness. One of the things with being single that I think all singles struggle with or wrestle with is, is this forever or is this just a season? And it really comes down to, do I trust God? Is God enough for me? Uh, or do I have this sort of codependency on another relationship or another person to make me happy or to enjoy life? There's a desire, the desire in your heart, you know, to be married or to be with somebody, and you, you have that desire still in you, and you're, and you're bumping that against, but what if, it, what if it never happens? And so you struggle with, how is, how is it that I have this desire but may not get it, you know? And so you, you're constantly kind of dealing with that, um, that tension, if you will. I'm so thankful to Battle Creek Church for the community that it has provided me, um, you know, throughout the years. The community group also provided me with opportunity to be under the leadership of a, a wonderful teacher, um, someone whose heart was completely devoted to the Lord, someone who um, just shines um, just with the love of Christ and um, is authentic in the way that he lives his life. And um, I was fortunate to not only admire this person, but marry this person. So we have not been married that long, and um, here we are now with the All In. The thing that excites me the most about All In is just the ways the church is going to help spread the gospel. Just thinking about all the ways that we've impacted our community and then around the world, that's going to continue, and that's going to grow, and that's going to expand. Um, and so that's what excites me the most, is just the, the work that the church is going to be involved in, uh, not just here, but you know, across the world, and the impact that it's going to have on the gospel and the kingdom. This is for the kingdom, and um, we are investing in kingdom work. And there's nothing more rewarding in our lives than being involved in the kingdom. And through our participation, we get to experience life change. And we get to, um, we get to just be a part of God doing wonderful things. And there's nothing that we could buy with our money. There's nothing that could compare to being involved in kingdom work and knowing that you invested um, in eternity. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you today. Let me just make a couple of announcements. Uh, before I jump in, I don't know if your campus pastor has already made this announcement or not, but I, I want you to hear it uh, from me. One week from today is Harvest Sunday, okay? And Harvest Sunday, we do about three times a year. Uh, that's a Sunday where we're going to share the gospel crystal clear. We're going to give a chance for people to respond, to trust Christ, to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And, and, and so this is a moment in the life of our church where we all partner together, okay? And so I, I've said for years that if I had my way, the ticket into church on a Harvest Sunday would be you brought somebody with you. 
Like you don't get to come unless you brought somebody with you on that Sunday because that's the whole point of that Sunday is for us to bring somebody and compel them to come to a place where they're going to hear the gospel, maybe for the very first time. And sometimes on those days, uh, we, we see a hundred people in one day give their life to Jesus Christ or follow the Lord and believers baptism, which is glorious. Like, you know, the average church size in America is about 67 people. And, and so we see two churches come to Christ on one day on, on days like this. And, and so you bring somebody with you. If you can't get your, a, a whole family to come with you, then you get your kid's friends to spend the night on, on Saturday night, have a summer party at your house and bring them along, fill up the car. So if you got a Yukon, a van or a bicycle, put somebody on it and in it and bring them with you uh, next Sunday morning and preschool, elementary, there'll be carnival, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but the point of all the stuff is, is for us to gain the right to share Christ with somebody. Okay. So next Sunday, and we're praying. And here's the beautiful thing about this church. Look, I've been praying for months about that message, about that invitation, about that response time that we're going to give next Sunday where your friends or neighbors or family members are, are going to hear the gospel and some of them are going to respond. And it is going to be that moment, that faith moment where they step from one kingdom to another kingdom. And we partner together in that fashion. And we're all praying together for, for your brother or for your sister or for your kids or for your parents or for your neighbors or for your kids' ball team. And we're all going to celebrate together as heaven rejoices next week where we see people come to Christ. Faith, right? We're going to walk in faith this week and we're going to go after people. Uh, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next week. All right. And so all of you here, welcome all of those there who, who are watching on online this morning. We got Gene in California. I have a relative named Gene in California. I don't know if that's you or not. Teddy from Texas. Uh, we got friends in Illinois, Idaho, Minnesota, Arkansas, Honduras, Egypt, just to name a few. Welcome to the Battle Creek Online family today. We're so glad uh, that you're with us. Now, we're in week three of a series that we're calling All In, where we're studying the life of Abraham. And we're exploring where it is that God wants to take us as a church and where it is that God wants to take us individually in our own faith walk uh, with him. And so we're on page 48 in the book. If you got a book, open it to page 48. If you don't have a book, you didn't get a book, raise your hand at every campus. The ushers will get you one right now, okay? And so just put your hand up, ushers, if you'll help every campus get the books to the people who need a book. If you're online, battlecreekchurch.com forward slash all in, and you can download uh, the book. And, and while you get your book, let me just make this declaration again. God has blessed us, Battle Creek. Amen. He, he has blessed us. And with that blessing comes the responsibility to go all in. And, and so we're talking about steps that we need to take as a church in obedience to that all-in calling on our lives. And we're talking about what our role is individually in this thing and what our role corporately is. And this is not just a series about what God wants to do through us. It's a series about what God wants to do in us as he deepens our trust and our commitment to the mission of God. And so as a reminder, Commitment Sunday is November the 14th. That's three weeks from today. But earlier than that, 
on, on a Wednesday night is the advanced commitment night. That's November 3rd. Write that down if you don't have that down. In fact, go ahead and put it in your calendar so, so that you protect that Wednesday night. That is one week from this coming Wednesday night, November the 3rd. Now, one week from tomorrow, we're going to begin a week of prayer and, and fasting, okay? So November 1 through 7, uh, this time we're not going to gather at the campuses. It's all going to be digital. It's all going to be online. And so in the morning before school and work, we'll put out a YouTube video that you can gather around with your family and watch at lunch. We'll, it, it, we'll put it out again so that if you couldn't have caught it that morning, you could catch it at lunch. We'll put it out in the evening as well so that sometime during the day you can gather corporately and we can all pray together the same things dur- during one week. But Monday through Wednesday, we're going to fast, okay? Uh, it's just three days. And some of you have never fasted before. This is the shortest one we've ever called the church to, three days. This is for the beginners in this whole fasting world. You take a step, okay? Halloween, eat all the candy, and then fast for three days. We will break the fast at the worship night on Wednesday night. We'll have dessert, which is weird to break a fast on dessert, but we're going to do it, okay? We're going all in together. But we're going to worship. Every year during the week of fasting and prayer, we have a worship night together where all the campuses come together. This is that night. Okay, so November the 3rd, Wednesday night, uh, we, we believe it's going to be so big we won't fit at this campus, so we're going to the Union Performing Arts Center, 6.30 on Wednesday night, and, and, and we're going to worship together, and those who are ready, we're going to make our commitments early. The, the, the Bible talks about leaders going first. And so uh, those of us who are leaders in in the faith, we're going to go first. If God gets you ready, you come ready to give that night. Now, I told you last week that our hearts, your heart and mine, sometimes they act like a severely out of alignment car, don't they? And and, and we waver between the ditches uh, of self-centeredness and self-sufficiency. And so periodically what we need is the Holy Spirit to get our attention and help us examine what our priorities really are. And whose mission is it that we really are on? And who is it that we're really placing our trust in? In fact, I heard about a dad who had a son who he, he, he couldn't get him to behave on a regular basis. He just couldn't get the boy to behave. And, and so he tried everything he knew and nothing would work. And so the, this particular dad was a pilot. And, and so what he started doing is taking that kid up on airplane rides, just the two of them. And, and he would talk to his son and he found that those high altitude flights and, and the personal conversation seemed to curb the misbehavior. Behavior. And, and when they would land, he, 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 was, he was more uh, uh, compliant and, and, and totally submissive to his father. And, and so uh, whenever his behavior would begin to deteriorate again, the dad would take him on another flight. And, and he would look at him eyeball to eyeball and tell him what he expected, right? This is what I expect of you. And, and this man had a friend who was amazed that this process was working so well. And he wondered if it would work with his kid. So he asked his friend, next time you take your son up, can I go with you? The man said, sure, took him on the flight. And uh, while they were on the flight, the man's friend took this photo uh, just so that you gain perspective of what was going on here. And, and, and so I, I want you to see, Ben was so ticked that I put his picture up that I'm not going to leave it up with him on the windshield of an airplane. But, but, but what I want you to know is that there are moments God takes us on rides like that, aren't there? To, to, to catch our attention. And, and from time to time, he wants us to gain our bearing. And, and I know that's uncomfortable for you. It's uncomfortable for me too. It's the dilemma of us being living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. We get up off the altar all the time, 
right? We're tempted to lay ourselves down and, you know, by lunch, we're kind of off the altar uh, uh, again. And, and that's the reason in that song we introduced last week, we sing the line over and over. We lay ourselves on the altar over and over. But today, what I want to talk about is priorities. Write that down. We're going to talk about establishing our priorities as, as kingdom kids. And you're going to see God put Abraham in a couple of situations where he must choose what is most important and what is most foundational to him. And he's not choosing between something that's good and bad, right? He's choosing between a couple of good things. And maybe more importantly, which one of those good things needs to come first in his life. And so what I want you to see is the subtle choices are going to have a dramatic impact on how Abraham's life turns out. As a leader, I'm reading everything I can read for years and years and years on leadership. And every leadership book I've ever read, every leadership podcast I've ever listened to, at one way or another, one fashion or another, comes back around to the fact that establishing your priorities may be the most essential key to success. Knowing what in a long list of good things should come first. Knowing which things are mission critical and which things aren't, which things are nice but not essential. And in the kingdom of God, that's especially true uh, for us as well. And so let's read the scripture together. We've printed it for you in the book. Page 49 is the scripture. It's Genesis 13. So just grab your book and and we'll read it uh, together. Uh, Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot, circle that, okay, Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went to the, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai. Uh, circle that phrase in your Bible, between Bethel and Ai, where his tent, circle the word tent, had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. Circle that word altar, okay? There, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. I'd never seen this before until this week, reading this passage again. That that verse says their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. You know what that means? It means that it's possible for our possessions to change our family dynamic. It's possible for us to have so many things that that, that it affects our family dynamic. Look look at what it says. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and and lots, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites were there, also living in the land at this time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herds, uh, herders or mine, for we are close relatives. That, that, that some translation says, for we are brothers. Now, they're not technically brothers. A better translation is we're kinsmen, right? This is his nephew, not, not his brother. It is it not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Underline that phrase, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's interesting to me that that the uh, scripture points that out at this point before it, it ever happens. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. 
The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Say forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And this is the word of the Lord, right? And what Abraham does in this situation is pretty unheard of. In fact, it's, it's amazing. The average observer, especially in that day, would have expected one of two reactions, war between Abraham and Lot, or Abraham just telling Lot, get out, kicking him to the curb and telling him to go somewhere else. Abraham is clearly the big man in the party, right? He is older. He is richer. He is the one who got the promise directly from God. If anything, Lot is kind of a tag along in this story. But Abraham did neither of those things. Not only does he avoid the conflict, he gives the lesser the better choice in the scenario. As an oldest sibling in the home that I grew up in, can I just speak for all the eldest siblings in the room? We're smarter. And we are more responsible. And that's why we deserved to make all the decisions while we were growing up. My little brother, from his perspective, from his perspective thought I controlled him his, his whole childhood. From my perspective, I was just taking care of him, right? I, 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 he didn't have to make one decision his whole childhood. Look how gracious I was. I decided every movie we would watch, where we went, what radio station we would listen to. Those of you who are the baby in the home, just know we took care of you. You're welcome, right? My little brother didn't have to say one word until I graduated from high school and left the house. And if you're a middle child, let me just, oh, I don't have time for you. Just see a counselor, okay? Just see a counselor. But, but, but what you see in this story is the contrast between two different sets of priorities and two different ways of looking at the world. Abraham's choices led to increased prosperity, increased blessing, and multiplication. Lot's priorities led to destruction. Abraham, in fact, had to go rescue Lot twice, not once, but twice from Sodom. So, so let's look at the priorities, okay, of these two different guys and see how this plays out. Write, write this down in your book if you would. Lot prioritized the riches that he could see, okay? In other words, when Lot looked out at the options, he made his choice on one factor. Which direction will make me the wealthiest? Financially, it was probably a good choice, but, but, but it was a choice he made in the kingdom of me, right? And in the process, he shows a total disregard, if not even disdain for spiritual things. He knew God. He worshiped God, but there's no indication of prayer. There's no any indication of any consultation with God in his choice in the matter. In fact, go back and look at verse 10, if you would. Lot took a long look. Circle that in verse 10, because those are the same exact Hebrew words that refer to how Eve looked at the apple or the fruit when the devil tempted her. Exact same Hebrew word. It's a callback to the fall of man. Long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley. The whole area was well watered everywhere. Look at it. Here it is again. Call back. Like the garden of the Lord. 
or the beautiful land of Egypt, and he makes his home next to Sodom, notorious for wickedness. He put his family in grave spiritual danger because Sodom was where the money was. And you see these choices play out tragically for his family. Now watch the progression, okay? You can look at it this week or talk about it in your community group. But in chapter 13, the Bible says Lot moved next to Sodom. In chapter 14, he's no longer next to Sodom, he's in Sodom. And in chapter 19, he's not only in Sodom, he is a leader in Sodom. The Bible says he sat at the gates. In the Hebrew, that means he was an elder in the city of Sodom. Do you see the progression? And eventually, when God calls him to get out of Sodom, his wife is so in love with material prosperity and so in love with the life of Sodom that he can't leave, or she can't leave, and God ends up turning her into a pillar of salt. Do you remember the story? This is how this is playing out. That's, by the way, what hoarding does. They had so many possessions, it got in the way of getting out of a land of wickedness. The point is this, if we're not careful, our possessions can tether us to the earth. If we're not careful, the things that we own can end up owning us. Look at the second point. Lot prioritized self-interest over generosity. Lot does what he thought was best for him, even though in this case, he actually had to wrong his uncle to get it, right? Abraham clearly should have been, the, uh, been given the better choice, better choice. In this particular scenario, Lot is miles away from a generous heart, right? He thinks about the prosperity of one person in his choices, him, his name, his prosperity, okay? So let's contrast this to, to Abraham, okay? What did Abraham do? Abraham prioritized the kingdom of God. Remember the kingdom of me versus the kingdom of he. His question was not, where's the best in the land? His question was, God, where do you want me to go? Did you notice? Look at it again in your book, verses three and four. The first thing he did upon coming into the new land was to go to the altar and to ask God what God wanted. In fact, in in the Hebrew text, what we see here is what's called a chiasm. I've taught you this before. A Hebrew chiasm is where a a, a Hebrew text spins itself around and comes back and says the very same thing. And, And when it does that, the point is what's in the middle of that is what's crucial and is the main point of the story. He's back in the very same place in chapter 13 that he found himself in chapter 12. When God asked him to leave his father, to leave his land, and to leave all that he knew. Now remember, he went to this place, he pitched his tents, and he set up an altar to the Lord. He's back there. Now I had you circle the words Ai and Bethel, right? Ai and Bethel. Now when you see it in the Hebrew, you understand that what Abraham did is pitch his tent so that when he came out of his tent, his back was turned to Ai. Ai in Hebrew means heap of destruction. Where does that city show up again in the Bible, Ai? Where? Anybody read a Bible before? I encourage it. Yeah, when they were taking, when they were destroying one city after another. Remember, they destroyed Jericho and whipped Jericho by singing around the walls, right? The walls fell down. And, And then the very next city they went to was Ai, and they got their tails handed to them because of the sin of a guy named Achan. 
That city means heap of ruins. And, and so what he's doing is turning his back on paganism, and he's turning and facing a place called what? It says it in the Bible. Bethel. Do you know what Bethel in Hebrew means? Beit El. Beit means house. El means God. The house of God. Furthermore, there's a juxtaposition being laid out here in the Hebrew. Chapter 12 in here uh, versus chapter 11, okay? Chapter 11, what happened in chapter 11? They built the Tower of Babel. They built a tower to themselves. Here, he builds a tower to God. It's called an altar and then pitches a tent for himself. You say, what is the point? Here's the point. God, my name, my future, my descendants, my comfort, they're not the priority. You and your story and your name and your fame is what's permanent and is priority in this story. I am just passing through in this world. I am temporary in this world. Abraham said, God, the first thing I need from you in this new place is to hear from you about what you want from me in this chapter of my life. Abraham thought about God first and most in his decision making. And you see that not only in how he made decisions, you see that in what he does with the victories and the blessings that God gives him. Over the course of time, there's a parallel playing out here. Over the course of time, Lot got wealthier and it ruined him. Over the course of time, Abraham got wealthier and it did not ruin him. Why? It's all laid out in this passage, by the way. It's so simple and it's so clear. When you read the scripture, the first thing Abraham did with his wealth is tithe. This is the first time this word shows up, right? It's 10%. He gives a tenth of everything that he has to this mysterious man in the Bible named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is presented in the scripture as the priest of God. So in other words, not only was God Abraham's first thought in making his decisions, he was the first place Abraham turned to say thank you. Because everything and all of the blessing came from God, his mindset was God should get the first fruit of everything that flows into my life. Now, you may ask, because people have asked me before, why, do you, why is giving to Melchizedek considered giving to God? Well, in this text, what's clear is that Melchizedek was God's appointed instrument. At minimum, he's a type of Christ. Most scholars think it is Christ showing up before the New Testament in skin in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, by the way, what's God's appointed instrument? It's very clear. The local church. Throughout the book of Acts, God does his work on earth through one primary institution, the local church. The church was the means through which the gospel was preached, through which the people were discipled, through which the needs of the poor were met. And so that's why we say around here, we don't give to the church, we give through the church, to our heavenly father and to the mission of God almighty, okay? So, so here's the second one. Abraham prioritized generosity over self-interest. Really what he did is place himself third. When you look at the text, right? God is first, Lot, his nephew, is second, he is third. Because of that, guess who thought about Abraham's needs? God did. That's what you see in the text. In fact, let me just show you something really, really interesting. I hadn't seen this before a couple of weeks ago. If you look back at Genesis chapter 11, something very interesting is taking place. You have Abraham's brother Haran dying 
right? What the scripture says is he died in the presence of his father, which is not supposed to happen, right? The father is not supposed to bury the son. The, the, the son is supposed to bury the father. And the, but the text is very clear and points out that Haran died in the presence of Terah, the dad, Abraham's dad. So let me, let me just show you the, the, the family tree. You got Terah, who the Bible mentions. Abraham is his son, right? Sarah is Abraham's wife. Then you have the brother Nahor, who ends up marrying, according to Scripture, somebody named Milcah. Then you have Haran, who dies, okay? Haran has three children. We know about Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew who travels with him, right? But there are two daughters mentioned in the text. Milcah, who is mentioned there and mentioned again and elsewhere in the Scripture. Issachar, who is mentioned only here. And you say, well, why on earth did they go to so much trouble to mention her here if she's mentioned nowhere else? Well, I saw something interesting in the text. Issachar in Chaldean, in the land of the Chaldeans, is, means princess. Do you know what Sarah means in Hebrew? Princess. And so the rabbis in the Middle Ages got to this text, got to this, and began to study it, and they said, there's something interesting happening here. Here's what we think is happening. This is one of those stories in the text where you have two names but one person. Two names but one person. And here's what they said. Sarah is Issachar. Now watch this play out because it makes perfect sense in the Bible that, that this brother has three children and he dies. Abraham takes Lot with him, right? And now we know he marries one of the sisters. Abraham married the other sister. So what you see playing out here is a conversation between these two brothers about we got to protect our brother's bloodline and we have to take care of his daughters, right? Because the father represents all of the protection and all of the provision to the daughters. And so we've got to take these daughters and marry them. And the way you see this playing out is that Abraham looks at his brother and says, which one do you want to marry? Now, here's what's indicated in the text. They already knew one of them was barren. So Nahor chooses the one who's not barren and leaves the one who is barren to Abraham. And Abraham marries the barren daughter. Why? Because she needed to be taken care of. This was an act of generosity to marry a woman who could not give you a child told you the older always takes care of the younger. You're welcome. <laughs> Bunch of babies, right? And, and, and so, but, but Abraham, here's the point. Abraham was less concerned with his own legacy than he was doing the right thing. He did the right thing, even though it cost him. This is why the rabbis believe that God chose Abraham, by the way, is that God looked at that and said, that's like me. That is something I can use. Of course, he screws up over and over and over again. But they, God looked at it and said, that in him, that's like me. I can use that. Now, let me just give you a few diagnostic questions, just two of them, okay? Write these diagnostic questions. This will help you in your community group as you discuss this, and it will help you in your quiet time this week as you wrestle with all of this. Here's question number one, or A, what is first in your decision or in your decisions? You can write down Matthew 6.33. That's where the Bible tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All these things meaning what? Provision, money, relationships. All these things will be added unto you. In other words, always ask what God wants and do that. Always prioritize the kingdom of God and the mission of God. And what does God promise? He will supply all of your needs. That's a great diagnostic question, okay? Here's the second one. 
Does God get the first and the best of all that you receive? Does he get the first and the best of all that you receive? There's no judgment involved in this question, by the way. But, but, but in order to uh, grow, we have to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Is God getting first and best? Two weeks ago in community group, we, we talked about uh, this, and, and there was a, a testimony video. I've loved watching these stories, but, but Jameson and Ashley Reynolds uh, told a little bit of their story. And in the story, they shared that in their marriage, they had made a commitment that the first and the best would go to God every month. And that priority for them indicated that their giving to their local church, to their heavenly father through their local church, would always be bigger than everything else, including their mortgage. Now, there were people in the group who had never thought of that, never heard of that before. In fact, were so challenged by that conversation that they said, huh, Never thought of that one. Anybody else doing that? Anybody else thinking about that? And it turned into this great discussion and wrestling match in the room. Now, there's a biblical story that illustrates this really well. It's the story of Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve, and both of them, according to the Scripture in Genesis, made an offering to God. But clearly there was a difference in the offering. Abel gave the firstborn of his flock, right? That means he gave the firstborn before any other animals were born. He trusted God. God got the first. Well, what if no more animals were born? He trusted God by going all in. Cain, by contrast, gave only after the whole crop came all in. Now watch the the play on words here that, that after it all came all in, he was willing to give. Waiting till after it all came all in to give is the opposite of going all in. And God was pleased with Abel's offering, and he rejected Cain's. And the whole point of that whole story is for you and I to ask the question, which approach is mine? Which heart, which mindset Which priorities are mine in giving? And here's a more palpable way to ask it in English today. Does your giving to God drive your spending and your saving? Or does your spending and your saving drive your giving? One of them is true. What you give your first and your best to actually reveals what is God in your life. A friend of mine says it this way, that everybody, everybody, you've never laid eyes on anybody who doesn't fall into this category. Everybody gives their first and their best to something. Everybody does. We all do it. First and best. Everybody on the world, everybody who's ever lived, right? If we give our first and best of our paycheck to improving our lifestyle, what does that say? It says that what we deem most important in life is comfort. Did you notice in verse 10, by the way, that Lot described the Jordan Valley like the garden of the Lord? He's trying to describe paradise in his set of priorities. But in Abraham's set of priorities, the presence of God equaled paradise. So he chose God, right? This is the kingdom of he versus the kingdom of me. In other words, what we give our first and best to not only shows what's our God, but it also shows what we trust the most. If the first thing we do with our paycheck is to save from it, we give our first and best to savings, that means that we trust money, right? We also means that we believe that we're responsible to secure our future all the days of our lives. And and, and so Abel could give the first of the flock to God because he trusted God to give more flock. 
right? Uh, Abraham trusted God by giving the land to God because he trusted God to give him more land. And and that's the way that was playing out for for, for many of you. And I've had one-on-one conversations with many of you. For many of you, the reason you don't give the way you want to give is not that you're stingy. It's that you're fearful, afraid. What if? What if I don't have enough? What if, if I give this? What, what if this happens? What if that happens? Listen, it, that's an issue of trust. When, when you give your first and best to something, it reveals where you're placing your trust in life. By the way, the scripture is so clear on this. The scripture indicates that money competes with God in one of two ways in our lives, depending on our personality, by the way. It's true for all of us, depending on our personality. For some, money is their significance. For others, money is their trust. And in the humor of God, these two people always marry each other right? Always. They always marry each other, right? And here's what happens. Both of them think the other has a problem with money. They got the exact same problem with money, just with a different perspective, right? But both of us are idolizing money. They look to money to do something that only God should do in our lives. Do you follow? And and so we have the very same problem, looking to money to do something that only God should do in, in our lives. God should be our primary source of significance, and God should be the primary object of our trust. Only then, by the way, are we truly freed up to be truly generous. Now, let me say it again. Everybody gives their first and their best to something. What is it for you? And by the way, don't get hung up on the 10% thing. Don't get hung up on that. First and best means priority and biggest. That's what it means. Priority and biggest. The largest part of your budget is the thing that drives everything else underneath it. Now, I say that because for many, many years, uh, Meredith and I were tithers, and and we did it on a regular basis. It was a line item in our budget. We were tithers. It was first. I always felt priority in that. It was always first. It was a tenth, but at some point along the way, it was no longer really best because it was no longer affecting the things that came after it. It was no longer really sacrifice in our lives. Now, there's five stages. I've taught you this many, many times. Five stages of giving, and God celebrates every step. And around here, we say we're the perfect place for imperfect people, so we're celebrating every step that every one of you takes along the journey. The first step is initial giver. That, that's that teenager. I, I don't know, I, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but I, I literally sat right there in that chair and watched this young man. What is your name? Wyatt. How old are you, Wyatt? 11. Can I talk about what I saw you do a few minutes ago? I have your permission. It's not going to hurt your feelings. It hurt Ben's feelings that I put his picture on the thing, and I'm going to have to fix that. <laughs> then I did it again at 11. But, 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 but I watched Wyatt get down on the floor, open his Velcro wallet, which his dad said, shh. <laughs> and he pulled out some dollar bills, and he pulled out some change. And he counted the whole thing, and then he put some of it in an offering envelope and sealed it. Asked his dad for a pen, and he filled it out. I don't know, if Wyatt, if you've been doing that for a long time or that was the first time, but I celebrate your faith at 11 years old, and I celebrate a dad who is helping this young man 
play this out. And, and, and so God counts the step. And so when you take that step as an initial giver, some of you are going to do that today. And we're going to celebrate. Hundreds of people do that around here every year. And we celebrate that step with you. It's an initial time that you're saying, God, I've never done this before. But I'm going to take part of this wealth and part of this treasure, and I'm going to trust you with it. Now, the next step is when you become consistent in it. That's when you say, I'm going to do this every single week or every two weeks or every month or whatever, however the income flows into your life. I'm going to be consistent with this. I'm going to do this when Alex is preaching great, and I'm going to do it when he's not on his game. I'm going to be consistent with it, right? Then, so you got initial, then consistent. The next step is sacrificial. This is now where I'm saying, I'm actually going to do without something else in order to put more in the kingdom of God. That's sacrificial. The, the, the next step is surrendered. That's when I'm saying, not only am I giving tithes and offerings, I, I, I'm giving God everything. That's where I'm saying, God, my house, how do you want to use it? My cars, how do you want to use it? Next week, we're going to use all of our cars to bring people here that they could come to know Jesus, right? We're going to honor God with whatever vehicle we have in our lives next Sunday. This is saying, God, my children, my marriage, everything I have, it's all yours, God. My hands are open. What do you want and how do you want to use it and how do you want to bless it? That's when we get to the place of surrender to God. Now, the next step, there's a whole other step beyond that. You say, well, I'm not there yet. Okay, I'm just telling you the map. The, The next step is an eternal giver. An eternal giver is the one who gets to the stage that says, look, I'm going to transfer as much out of this earthly kingdom into a heavenly kingdom as I can. And I'm going to do it actually as fast as I can. I'm in a race. Now, I know clearly that I can't take any of this with me to heaven, but according to Jesus, I can send it ahead. So I'm just going to start sending it all ahead. I'm going to put it in a place where rust and moss and robbers can't get to it. I'm going to store up my treasure in heaven. That's when eternity becomes our perspective. And so we celebrate all of those steps around here. But here's the point. God wants you and me to give in a way that shows he is first and best in our lives. And we have to ask ourselves that question. What do we spend our first and best on? Is it our mortgage? Is it our savings? Because whatever we put first and best is what we worship. And what's replacing God in our lives? Let, let, let me just show you this. this, this commitment card. If you got your commitment card in your book, you, you, you could just hold it and look at it. But, but, but this commitment card, it's just a piece of cardstock. But this thing can be, if you'll let it, in this season of our lives, be a powerful facilitator of the theology of first and best. Powerful facilitator. Every time we make a big commitment in our lives, those are fun days, aren't they? I'll never forget signing that first mortgage. That house was $79,000. And, and I remember Meredith and I sitting in that closing office with Corey Eggie, who I think attends the South Tulsa camp. And I remember looking at those zeros going, holy cow, what are we doing? And I got tense. Sometimes I get tense. Sometimes anger is the shown expression, right? It's not anger. It was really fear. And Corey looked at me and said, you're just getting in the same ship we're all in. And that made me feel more comfortable, right? But anytime we make big decisions like buying a home or sending a kid to college or buying a car or setting up a retirement account, listen, here's the point. Those big ticket decisions drive all the other decisions in our lives often even our giving, right? And I would say often because our giving sometimes and oftentimes is limited by those decisions. 
But here's the potential with this all-in commitment this year. Here, here's the amazing potential. This all-in commitment is actually the opportunity for us to get our giving in the game with all of our major financial decisions and for it to truly be the priority and be first for other financial decisions to be different and driven because of our generosity. That's what I want in, in my household and in my family, right? By our decision to give, it affects every other decision. So what is that number for you? This is what we're praying about during this series, right? That's, that, that's what we're, what is that number? What, what is that number for you in which you would say, wow, we could give that. But if we do, it's going to drive everything else. We could give that, but if we do, some things are going to have to change. That's where God wants us, where we're willing to change things to make him the priority. Friend, that may be exactly the number that God has you give. Here's the question that we all have to ask. What is first and best look like for us? A friend once told me this, that God isn't just number one on the page of priorities. That God wants to be the page in which all the priorities are written, which shows the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It illustrates the truth that Christ is before all things. And all things are by him, to him, through him, and for him. Can, can I just be really vulnerable with you in, in this season? I've been praying about this for two years. And, and, and you know what I've been praying? I've been praying as a church member more than I've been praying as a pastor. Of God, what do you want from me? And what do you want for my house? And how do you want us to participate in, in, in this thing? And I shared this with the staff, some of the staff this last week, and I'll just, I'll share it with you today. You know what my primary prayer has been for the last two years? It's not that we get the resources we need to go forward. That's not it. I trust God with that. Completely trust God with that. My primary prayer for you and me, is that we, 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 we learn to give God first and best of our lives and that we truly see ourselves as stewards of what he has given to us and that we continually take steps as a faith body to put more and more and more of our lives into the kingdom of heaven by going all in. That's my prayer in this whole journey. And that's my agenda. And I think it's God's too. Would you stand together with me across all of our campuses? And could we make this creed that we've been making for the last couple of weeks together, all the campuses out loud, like we believe it and like we understand it. Let, let, let's declare it together today. God, awaken us from our slumber. Attune us to the movement of your spirit. Empower us to be a people who are truly all in. We desire to surrender ourselves fully to you. Show us how you want us to give generously as you have given generously to us. 
Equip us, God, to help all people of all ages, all the time, advance in their journey with you. Jesus, we desire to go all in. Would you give him praise in this place today? Amen. Now, let, let me just say this to you. Let me just say this to you. I, I want us to have a, just a minute of prayer. Every time God moves, I've been doing this long enough to know this to be true. The enemy counters. He counter moves. And as we walk through this season of massive movements of God, here's what I know to be true. The enemy is going to counter in some of our lives. He's going to. And part of what we need to do in this season is trust God for the impossible. And we need to pray prayers that scare us. Look, I'm telling you, I'm convinced. If our prayers that we pray don't require God, God is insulted by our prayers. We should pray prayers that scare us, that are God-sized prayers. And here's what I know. Some of you are already in or entering into a season that feels impossible to you. It feels impossible. Could, could, could we act like faith family for a minute? Act like a little church? If that's you, you're either in or you sense that you're entering into a season that feels impossible to you. Would you just raise your hand? Say, that's me, Pastor. It's me. It feels impossible. Every campus, just, just, just raise your hand up. And, and, and these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, guys. This is what faith family is all about. I, I, sometimes my faith is not enough. I need your faith to mix with my faith, right? And intersect the faithfulness of God. And so if your hand was just up, would you raise it again? And if somebody's hand is raised near you, would you just go put your hands on their shoulders? Just go put their hands, your hand on their shoulder. Leave your hand up until somebody gets to you. When you feel a hand on your shoulder, put your hand down, if you would, okay? I want to make sure that everybody gets somebody. If their hand went up, sir, we have a man right here. So if some of you guys would just kind of turn around and, and get over here, uh, wave your hand if nobody's to you yet at every single campus. We have a lady over here. Uh, ladies, if some ladies would move right to, to this lady to my far left, put your hand on her. And here, here's what I want us to do, okay? Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray out loud all of you at the same time. That's not going to confuse God. It might confuse your Baptist heritage, but it does not confuse God. You pray out loud and ask God to do the impossible in your brother or sister's life right now. Would you just do that all over every campus? Let's pray together. Let them hear you pray it out loud. Now, would you all pray with me today? All of you pray. Father, we bow before you today, humbling ourselves before you, the majesty, the 
Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are worthy of all of our worship. And Father, today and and this faith family called Battle Creek Church, there are men and women and boys and girls who are in the middle or walking into something that they feel is impossible. And so we join together in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that the fervent and, and effectual prayer of the righteous will avail much in their lives today. We're, we're, we're going to pray together. We're joining our hearts together over their lives, and we pray that you would meet them right where they are. Father, show each of them what their part is to believe, to walk in faith, to remain faithful, to, to trust, and, and to take one step after another, and, and show them what your part is. You're the one who parts the seas. You're the one who makes a way uh, through wet lands and, and makes dry places for us to place our feet. You're the one that heals and defies medicine. You're the one that blesses b- beyond blessing. You're, you're the one who is capable of so much more than the natural. You're capable of the supernatural. That's your part, God. And we're asking you together over this faith family for you to do that part in their lives in such a way that they are blown away by who you are in their lives. Whatever impossibility they are staring at, we thank you, God, you are bigger than that. And that you would meet them right where they are and walk them to the other side of that challenge. May they give you glory and honor and praise when you get them there. And every step along the way, when it feels like you're working and when it doesn't feel like you're working, give them the faith that you are working. That you have blessed them, you are blessing them, and you will bless them because that's who you are and that's what you do. So when it feels like you're not blessing us, God, open our eyes into the spiritual world and let us see what is actually transpiring. And Father, we believe with all of our hearts in this moment that you have a plan to prosper, each of us. You have a plan and a future and a hope. And so Father, we stand in faith together, believing that over each of our people and over this congregation together. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen. Give him glory in this place. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. Just, just bow your heads one more second, okay? Let me encourage you today. Don't go try kingdom economics without a relationship with the King of Kings. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that is your next step. That is your faith step for today, and we are cheering you on. We are praying for you. We are believing for you, and we want you to take that step today. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. I'll pray it one phrase at a time so that you can just repeat it after me. But I don't want you just to repeat it. I want you to pray it and say it to God in heaven. And and men and women around you are going to pray it out loud as an encouragement to you. No one's going to pray alone. At every single campus where you are standing, you want to trust Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen. Now give him glory in the place today. Hallelujah.
I love you. I love you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. We'll see you next weekend.